Well, today we're jumping into chapter 5 of Galatians, and we've been studying this book for some time now. It's one of the letters in the New Testament. And, uh, and by the way, if you're here today and uh, you, you have your notes, you can take those out. The Bible verses are there, so you can follow along. Uh, but by the way, if you don't have a Bible or you want to follow along in a paper version of the Bible, over to my right, there's a couple Bibles there. You can grab it and you can follow along in the Bible. And if you don't have one or you need one of that version, you can grab it and take it home with you if you want. Okay, anytime, don't be shy. It's not stealing if I let you take it. Okay, you can go grab it and you can follow along. We are in chapter five. And guys, it's been an awesome study as we learn about Paul's rebuke. It's really essentially what the book of Galatians is about, Galatians, because he's rebuking the believers in Galatia because they began to follow a false gospel which taught that along with Jesus dying for your sins and conquering the grave and putting your faith in him, yada, 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 right, all that good stuff, you also had to keep some Old Testament customs and rituals. That's what, some, uh, that's what some people were teaching the believers in Galatia. In other words, what they were saying was that it was Jesus plus keeping the law that ultimately granted you salvation. And if you didn't keep the law, if you didn't follow the rules, then I'm sorry, don't pack your bags for your one-way ticket to heaven because you ain't going if you didn't keep these rules. And that's essentially what they were falsely teaching. Last week, Hunter wrapped up chapter 4 of Galatians, which spoke about an Old Testament love triangle, right, which produced two different covenants. One covenant was uh, the covenant of freedom, which was the original promise God made to Abraham and his wife Sarah, that all nations would be blessed, all people would be restored uh, to himself through Jesus. And the other covenant Paul calls the covenant of slavery, uh, which was what Abraham and Sarah's failed attempt at trying to take matters into their own hands and, to, and help God along. And how did they do that? Well, uh, since they were promised a child, Abraham and Sarah were both old. If you went to Sunday school, you may know this story. They thought it was a good idea uh, to introduce infidelity to the marriage. Right? That's an awesome idea. And essentially to have a surrogate, a surrogate mother uh, to hurry the process. And what the covenant of slavery represents is our failed attempt to mend the broken relationship between us and God through good works. In other words, trying to obtain God's favor through keeping the rules. That's what that covenant represented. But as we learned last week, Paul tells the Galatians that we are children of the promise, not children of slavery. That God sent Jesus to ultimately keep all the rules that we, because of our fallen nature and our sinful selves, uh, we couldn't keep uh, we are unable to keep, and that Jesus would ultimately pay the penalty for our sin, that the sin that we deserve to pay on our behalf. And so as we dive into today's passage, Paul, uh, the author of the letter of the Galatians, is going to argue that if that's true, if we are children of the promise, then why would we continue to attempt to return keeping to the law, and in turn make ourselves children of slavery? And so we're going to learn three things, guys. If you take out your message notes, uh, what we try to do here at Swerve, we try to make it real easy for you to follow along. There's some fill-in-the-blanks. You have all the Bible verses that we're going to read today, just six. And then there's some fill-in-the-blanks that you can follow along with as well. Okay? So here's the first thing that we learned in today's text. The first fill-in-the-blank is this. Number one, we are free from the yoke of slavery. We are free from the yoke of slavery. And let's read Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Let's read it together. It's in your notes, and it's on the screen, all right? Let's read it together. You guys ready? Here we go. Ready? Go. For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then, and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. 
Now, Paul describes uh, this enslavement to the law and to keeping the rules and regulations in an attempt to earn God's favor, a yoke. Not a yoke, like an egg, you know, a yoke. Uh, it probably doesn't make a lot of sense to you if you don't know what that is and you don't have much experience with it. So I have a picture. Take a look at this picture behind me on the screen. Essentially, a yoke was a piece of equipment that was used to bind two animals together, which then could be attached to plow, uh, to a plow or to a cart. And together, the two beasts, typically they were oxen or some, some large beasts of that way, would be able to pull the plow and carry extra weight. And this is what Paul is calling our bondage to our thinking that we can handle righteousness with God through our religious works. It's a burden. It's a weight. It's a heaviness that we cannot bear and we will never be able to carry because we were never meant to carry that burden. And so Paul says we need to stand firm. Now, why does Paul say that? Well, for the Galatians, they had to stand firm against these religious bullies that were coming in and attempting to force this false thinking upon them. And so he was telling them, stand firm against these guys that are coming in and teaching you something that's different, that's teaching you this false message, that's telling you that you need to follow X, Y, Z along with this Jesus thing. And so he told them, you need to stand firm against that. And I also think that Paul is telling them to stand firm against their own faulty thinking to believe that they can actually earn their salvation or that they can earn God's favor. Guys, listen to me close. We face the same exact temptations. We too have to stand firm. You know why? Because there are false teachers spreading a false message that in order to truly be saved, in order to truly be a good Christian, in order to one day meet our Creator, it's not faith in Christ alone. It's that. That's good. But it's also plus X, Y, Z. And it's the same thing with us that we need to stand firm against our own premonitions to think that, you know what? You know, Danny, I'm a pretty good person. I'm, I'm pretty righteous. I'm religious. I'm pious. I don't need God or His provision through Jesus because I think I got this thing pretty well figured out. And because of our sinfulness, guys, there's always a bend to think that we can do pretty good on our own, but we need to stand firm against that. Jesus demolished the yoke of slavery so that we wouldn't have to submit to it again. But yet so often we run right back to it again, to submit to it again. We run right back to it, we put it back on, we carry that weight, we carry that burden. Let me ask you guys a question. What yokes are you wearing that is weighing you down and is keeping you from the freedom that God wants you to enjoy? The second thing that we learn from this passage, number two in your notes, is this. You can write this down. It's to be upheld by works is to fall from grace. To be upheld by works is to fall from grace. And he says it this way in Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. You have it there in your notes. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have what? What does it say? Say it out loud. You have fallen from grace. Now, if you read verse 2, we get a clear glimpse into the specific restrictions that the Judaizers or the religious leaders were placing on the believers in Galatia. Let me, let me pause and give you guys some context. We have a lot of new faces here. Let me try to uh, just catch you up a little bit. We've been in this book for some time. And essentially what's happening is Paul is writing this letter as a response to something that's going on in Galatia. It's a region uh, where there were several churches that were planted. And what happened was, uh, you know, Paul built some amazing relationships with the people there, planted a church founded upon the lordship of Jesus Christ. But some religious teachers came in to spread a false message. 
And that false message, we read it in verse 2 of today's passage. It tells you exactly what was one of those key things that they were saying. And essentially what they were teaching was that you had to be circumcised in order to truly be a Christian. And of course, they were telling the Gentile male believers that in order to be right with God, they had to do this little procedure called circumcision. All right, now, listen, I don't have any diagrams or pictures right, of what that looks like. I'm not trying to whip that out. If you're really curious, I guess you can Google it. Don't Google it later. It's okay. But it's a procedure that affected the men especially. And of course, in the Old Testament, there was a covenant that was given to the Jewish people. And when they were, when they were little, when they were babies, just eight days old, they followed this procedure and they circumcised. And it meant that they were part of the family of God. But now these religious leaders coming from Jerusalem to Galatia are telling the, the believers in Galatia that the men, grown men, had to f- do this procedure in order to truly be saved. Now, maybe you're, you're sitting there and you're like, Daniel, well, that's not relevant for me. I'm not, you know, I don't have to deal with that, 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 that thing. I'm not a Gentile believer or whatever having to deal with this circumstance. But for us, replace circumcision for whatever other thing you use to excuse as your righteousness. Whatever you think makes you more holy or whatever you think makes you more righteous or whatever you think uh, helps earn your favor with God. If circumcision or whatever works you think draws you closer to God were to earn your salvation and right standing with God, then this whole Jesus thing would be worthless. It's essentially what Paul is saying right there. This whole Jesus thing, him living a matchless and sinless life, dying on the cross, conquering the grave, it would be absolutely for nothing if you can earn your own favor with God through whatever acts of righteousness or religiosity. Paul uses the phrase here, we fall from grace. And he says that you, are, you that are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You see, essentially, when we attempt to justify ourselves with our own good works, we take Jesus off of his cross, we pull him out of the tomb, and, and we shove him off his throne, and we put ourselves there. There's no benefit to Christ, Paul says, if you're able to do this of your own effort. There's no reason to come to church and to open up the Bible and to learn about Jesus if you're able to earn about your own salvation, if you're able to pay for your own sin. And this whole Jesus thing is a waste of time. That's why Paul uses the phrase, we fall from grace, because grace is unmerited or undeserved favor. Grace is what is extended to us through Jesus It's when we receive something that we don't deserve or that we could ever repay or we could never earn. To fall from grace is to fall away from God's love and His provision through Jesus. And Paul says, when you think that you can earn your own salvation in your own way and your own favor with God, you fall from grace. That's what happens to you. By the way, do you know that this is what happened to Satan? You can read about it in the book of Isaiah, our spiritual enemy, He desired to remove God from his throne and to put in himself in that place as ruler and as king. But God removed Satan from heaven and he literally fell from grace. In fact, if you read the book of Luke, Jesus says his own words that he saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And this is essentially what we do when we attempt to earn our way to heaven. We remove God off his throne Because we think that we've got it under control. To reject God's grace made available through Jesus is to accept your placement as king of your own life and eternity. Which is to reject salvation and eternity in the presence of God. Our spiritual enemy, Satan, fell from grace 
And his eternal punishment is what awaits those who alienate themselves from Christ by trying to be justified by the works of the law. But the good news is that we can have hope of righteousness. The good news is that we can have forgiveness of sin. The good news is that we can have salvation. You see, our good works doesn't matter. Our righteousness doesn't matter. Our law-keeping doesn't matter. Your goodness doesn't matter. And Danny, if none of that matters, then what does? Number three in your notes. Thank you for asking that question. Number three is this. What matters is faith working through love. Is faith working through love. Let's read this verse, uh, verse six. It's the last verse in today's passage. Let's read it out loud together. You guys have it there? Let's read it. Ready, go. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. Guys, listen in close. God's provision for us is Jesus. The Bible says that we all fall short of the glory of God, that we are all born in sin. And this sin eternally separates us from God and destroys the unity. It destroys the harmony. It destroys the relationship with God that God designed us to have with him. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Our sin, it merits judgment. It merits God's wrath. And if you attempt to repay your own sins or earn your salvation through your good works, your religiosity, or your piety, you will have to experience eternal separation from God because your best attempts to live righteously fall miserably short. But praise God that he made a provision for us and his name is Jesus. Why? What is God's motive? Why did God do this? Paul says it in the verse of six, at the end of verse six, what is God's motive? God's motive is Love. Some of you have a hard time wrapping your mind around how immensely God loves you. You can't fathom it. You don't understand it. You think to yourself, oh man, if Danny only knew. If Danny only knew the things that I've done. If Danny only knew the wretched life that I've lived. If he only knew the the sins that I've committed. God could never love me. God could never forgive me. I have to fix my life first and then I can try to earn his love. And if that's what you're thinking, let me lovingly tell you, you're missing the point entirely. God's motive is love, and He loves you. He sees you in your fallen state, and He loves you anyway. He loves you so much that He made a provision for you. God knew that you would never be able to keep the demands of the law. So he sent Jesus, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, to live the perfect and sinless life that you or I could not live in order to meet the demands of the law. And sinless, he was innocently led to the cross where he willingly endured a criminal's death. He endured the punishment for our sins, for your sin, for my sin on the cross. And on the cross of Calvary, Jesus breathed his last breath And he said, it is finished. Meaning that God's wrath was fully satisfied in his sacrifice. In Jesus' death, because our sin that was fully paid in his sacrifice, we can experience the forgiveness of our sin. Listen, the blood of Jesus washes away our sin and makes us pure and blameless before God. They put Jesus' lifeless body in a tomb. 
But the grave could not contain him, and death could not restrain him. Three days later, Jesus victoriously conquers Satan's sin and death, and he rises from the grave. And the promise that we have in his resurrection is the resurrection of our own lives. Not just one day in eternity in the arms of our Father, we're going to experience that one day, but a renewed vision, a renewed purpose, and a new life right now. And if God's motive is love, then what should be our response? What did Paul say matters? What matters is what? Is faith working through love. If God's motive is love, then our response is faith. Faith is to put all our trust on Jesus as the only one who could pay for our sin and mediate on our behalf and grant us salvation and grant us forgiveness of sin and give us meaning and give us purpose and give us identity. It's found in Him. It's found only in Jesus and only in Jesus and through Jesus and by Jesus. It's only Jesus. It's Jesus plus nothing is everything. God's motive is love and it's a love that surpasses not only our sin but even our failed attempts at earning righteousness and goodness. And it's a love made available to all to experience. And if you're here today, you have an opportunity to respond to this love that is made available to you. Listen to me carefully. Your religion cannot save you. Your goodness cannot save you. Only Jesus has the power to save and is made available to us. God's motive is love. Our response is faith. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here, and they're going to lead us in one more song uh, 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 today. But I just wanted to give everybody the opportunity today. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And listen, I'm not going to coerce you, force you up here, have you raise your hand, none of that. I'm just going to tell you that Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you so that you wouldn't have to try to pay for your own sins. It's already taken care of. It's a free, the free gift of God's grace. And so if you feel God right there working in your heart, the Holy Spirit telling you that you've been trying to do this all wrong all this time, but that you need to put your faith in Jesus, then I want you to make that decision right there between you and God. But as your church family, we would love to celebrate with you. We would love to encourage you. And the way that you can do that is by letting us know. If everybody would take out their connection cards right now on the back, there's some next steps for all of us to take. Now listen, it might be you know, signing up for a life group this week and maybe submitting a prayer request and maybe saying you're going to join us next Sunday. But if you're here today and you've yet to make a decision to follow Jesus and you feel God is tugging at your heart today and he's telling you to come home and to welcome him into your life, then I want to give you an opportunity to check off right there where it says, make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. And then as your church family, we want to encourage you. We want to we want to hug you. We want to celebrate. We want to put a Bible in your hand. We want to give you next steps if you haven't taken those yet. But that's the way you can let us know. In a little bit, you'll have an opportunity to hand that in while the buckets go around. But as the worship team leads us in one last song, I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads, to close your eyes. We're going to pray. And as they lead us in this last song, after we pray, over to my right, we have uh, some communion cups and some bread. And I'm going to invite you to respond uh, to, to, to the gospel message today. You can head over to the table as we, as we sing this last song. And as we reflect, grab a cup of juice, drink the juice, eat a piece of bread. Jesus said to do this in remembrance of me. 
He said, this juice is representative, the wine is representative of my blood that was poured out for you. As Jesus took the lashes upon his black and as, on his back and as they nailed him to the cross and he bled for you and for me, his perfect blood poured out that can wash away the sins of the world. And he told the disciples, this is my bread. It's just bread. I bought it in Food Bazaar this morning. But it's representative of the, blood, of, the, of the body of Christ that was broken for you and me. And Jesus said to do this in remembrance of him because we're foolish and we forget. And so we're going to take an opportunity after we pray. And as they lead us in this song, get up at your leisure, walk over, drink the, drink the juice, eat, eat a, a piece of bread, and take time to reflect on what Jesus did for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, I invite you to partake in communion today. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray together. God, we thank you that we are free from the yoke of slavery. We are free from upholding the law and from attempting to earn our righteousness or salvation through our good works. You sent Jesus to uphold the law on our behalf and he died on our behalf and he resurrected on our behalf so that we might experience forgiveness of sin and a new life. And what truly matters is faith working through love. Thank you for that matchless and endless and great love for me and for us. And our only reasonable response is faith in you. Oh God, oh King, take your place upon your throne, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You can partake in communion.